He really hits that one. Oh, that is just sensational from Luis Figo. And then Ronaldo! Here comes Eddie. Not got much help. Oh, he doesn't need any help. How about that? Portugal. And tonight they've been simply magnificent. Champions of Europe 2016. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Portuguese Football Show. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Philippe. Philippe, how's it going? Good, man. You? Yeah, brilliant. I thought I had you on mute again there. I didn't know whether you come in, but we can hear you loud and clear. Um it's been just just over it's been two weeks since since our last podcast because tell us where have you been? What have you been doing? You've been up to some uh, some fun activities. I had just the best time. So I was able to go to Portugal after I don't know, eighteen months of being stuck in England, Uh, so buzzing. (laughs) I was able to watch three games last weekend, which was even better. So, yeah, so I'm back now. To be fair, I got back in the right time since it's raining all the time, apparently, in Portugal. So, yeah, but happy to be back and back on recording. You left the the English weather in Portugal. And um, I'd say you you brought the Portuguese weather back with you, but it's been a little bit miserable here as well. What three games did you see? It was on Friday, the Guimarães Maritime game, which was quite fun at the end, especially, uh, with the Rochinha goal. Then on Saturday, went to Sporting against Moreirense, which was not as fun. <laughs> quite, quite long and boring, not going to lie. And then on Sunday, the the in terms of environment-wise, was the best one, Vizela against Benfica, um, which is probably, apart from... Games at Alvalade and Dragão is the only place where Benfica goes and has less funds than the home team. So that was just different class. I know you'd rather be in Portugal, but <laughs> seeing as you can't be in Portugal, we, we've got you here. Um, whilst we're in England, we'll bring a little bit of Portugal through our news and to those around the world that are listening. Um, we'll start off with the action in Portugal and then we'll do our usual Portuguese abroad. Uh, so... I'm going to actually start with the Invicta derby, which uh, which was yesterday, uh, 30th of October. Uh, FC Porto took on Bovista at home, and it was, to be honest, before the game, you probably had a strong feeling that Porto were going to get something. Uh, they usually are very, very good against Bovista, especially at home. Yesterday was, was more of the same. Luis Diaz scored after 20 minutes, and then they were actually pegged back. It went to 1-1. Absolute brilliant goal uh, from Hamash. It was on just on the half an hour mark. Just a brilliant, brilliant strike. Don't think Diogo Costa could have done anything about it. But um, Porto were quick to to fire back. Two goals from Evan Nielsen, one on forty one, and the other one uh, on on forty five. And then there was a a great moment at the end of the game as well. Danny Namasoloda, who primarily played for the Porto B team since joining from Redden. Um, he became only the second English player to, to play and score for Porto, and and the first since post-war. Um, so that was that was a nice moment for him. And then he was uh, put on Twitter. He was actually back in the Porto B team today, playing against Sergio Conceição's son, also called Sergio Conceição, uh, after being given his debut by his dad the day before. 
and shared the pitch with Francisco Conceição at the same time. So it was it was all a little bit. It must have been a little it bit strange. My head hurt right now. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Um, I think Sergio Conceição Senior is um, trying to create some sort of monopoly <laughs> of footballers <laughs> in in Portugal, and then obviously there's um, Rodrigo Conceição who is at Morenense as well. Yeah. So um, yeah, he's he's uh, he seems to be. How Tom unlikely Cunt. is for you to have that many children, all of them being professional footballers? Yeah, and make it at that level. Tom Cundit actually made me laugh. He he, he put on Twitter, he said, um, Sergio Conceição is, is like single-handedly trying to stop the, the population crisis in Portugal or, or something something um, something along those lines, which made me laugh. Um, but yeah, that was a, a strong performance and... Things are going. Things are going well for for Porto. To be honest, they they're still unbeaten in the league. Aside really from the the usual the annual humiliation that they received from Liverpool. Other than that, they've been going well on all fronts. To be honest, they recently beat uh, AC AC Milan side who are going really really well in Serie A themselves, um, and they arguably should have won against Atletico Madrid in the Champions League as well. Um, that 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 one finishes a draw. So, Champions League group, they're looking like they're doing okay. Uh, in the league, at, as things stand, you know, unbeaten, playing some, playing some good football at times as well. And we're seeing a lot more from the likes of of the younger players that people have been crying out to start. Um, the likes of Vitor Ferreira who, who started, seeing players like Danny Loder, players from the B team come in. João Mario has been starting. At right back, Fabio Vieira starting and coming off the bench and making an impact, and then obviously uh, Diogo Costa is still between the sticks, even with uh, Marchezine on the bench. So, yeah, th- things look like they're going okay for Porto. Did you catch that game, Fleet? What What are your thoughts? To be honest, from most of the games this year, this this uh, weekend was the one that I was dividing my attention between this one and the Man United Spurs game. Um, but with with Porto, yes, they. They've been playing quite decent football, and and mainly because they have two players in a different level, in my view, which is Luis Diaz and Taremi. Um, what both of them are playing is just ridiculous. How how good, especially Luis Diaz is at the moment. Um, the youngsters, like you said, been playing more and more, which obviously is good for Porto and for the national team in general because there's so much quality there. Um, and. In this game, like I said, I just really watched the highlights. I cannot say much about this one. My only question is more about how they managing the the team with uh, Corona. Obviously, I think he's a lost cause now. Um, for for mm-hmm. Porto, he doesn't play. I don't think he was even on the on the no. team sheet um, for this weekend. So obviously, he's a bit of a lost in there in terms of obviously value in terms of money and on in quality because we all seen what he done for Porto in the last few years. So that's a bit of a shame that finishes like that. In terms of Diogo Costa, I think, is obviously the matches in injury in the beginning helped and he came in a bit late. But in terms of quality, it's the easy bet because obviously in quality, they're both very, very similar. But one of them is at the end of the career and the other one is at the beginning of the career. So I think mm-hmm. it's just the obvious choice there. We'll move to uh, we'll move to Lisbon. First of all, we'll talk about Sporting Day 1 again. one uh, one We say 1 again. It's just become... Such a run of the mill stuff. They've got basically an well, they've got an identical record to Porto so far this season: eight wins, two draws, uh, zero losses. They um, the one thing that you do notice in that column is is the goals for. They've scored fifteen, 
Porto have scored 25, 10 more. Benfica have scored 21. Um, Sporting have actually scored the same amount as fourth-placed Estoril. Well, they can rely on the greatest striker in the in the Premier League. That is Sebastian Coates. It is just absolutely on fire at the moment. He's got four goals in his last three appearances, and it was he was the man again after half an hour on the clock. He came up with the goal, and um, Philippe, you actually you you watched this one. I weren't able to watch this. I've saw obviously the highlights, just the the V Sports ones, but the other than the goal, it doesn't show you much. How was the 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 game itself, the overall feel of the game. To be to be fair, I think obviously it was only one nil, and if you just see the last twenty minutes of the game, it looks like obviously Gimenez had chances and and was above Sporting in those last twenty minutes. Sporting could not control the game, but in most of the game, especially the first half after around like ten minutes, Sporting just controlled the game. I think it was the best game they had this season so far. Uh, they created mm-hmm. so many chances. Obviously, they had two goals. There was obviously. Um, Taken off by Varbo was the right decision. But in terms of control of the game, there was moments that Gimenez could not do two, three passes in a row, they would lose the ball. Uh, the high yeah. press from Sporting was very, very good. Gimenez tried to do something that made me think of the teams that played against Sporting at the beginning of last season, which is let's go and try to press them really high. And I think Gimenez tried to do that, which I think for this Sporting is no longer, is not, is not the best way to stop them, just because that creates so much space in behind for Pauling to make runs for Sarabi to make runs, for Pedro Gonçalves to make runs. So I don't think that was the best way. And then every time that Sporting didn't play behind the back line of Guimarães, they would sometimes find Mateus Nunes that when he's able to turn and drive the ball forward, he's just unstoppable and how good yeah. he is in that moment. Um, so there was some very, very good moments there. But then it happened what's been happening sometimes, which is they're not able to score the second goal. And then there's a moment clearly that it looks like the old team just decides, okay, let's not risk it forward. Let's not have a broken game and just mm-hmm. stay compact and make sure they don't break us down. And it looks yeah. like he gets that 70 minutes mark where it's like, okay, let's close the shop now. And mm-hmm. no silly mistakes. It's not worth which, it, is it? Which, Risking it. Which is, which is like crazy, really, because obviously in the moment that doesn't happen, even in a game that looks controlled, it might meaning they lose points. But so far, they've been doing all right. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's risky. And again, something that we spoke about last year, and I still think the same, which is the only part of Amorim's plan that I don't see as good is his timing for substitutions. I keep mm-hmm. thinking they changes the game too late. In this one, he brings Bragança too late. I think it was obviously a sporting. Even though they don't want to risk it, they still want to don't risk it. But having the ball and they were not able long they're no longer able to have the ball in against the Kevsim for the last five minutes. So there's a few things there that, that makes you think that if he makes those changes earlier, he might be able to control the game earlier and not to go under so much pressure at the end. But it's just the way they do it really. So there's not much more to say. And from Guimarães is just another very good game. It's obviously they're going to be doing very well this season with Pepper. The game mm-hmm. against Benfica for the League Cup was just incredible. I think if the game had 10 more minutes, they would have scored the winner. Um, and in this one, again, they showed good moments, especially in the last 20 minutes that they were above sporting. And it just looks like they're going to be one of the best teams of the league, no doubt. Yeah. And again, let's set pieces from sporting, just incredible. Not just Coates, obviously just team effort. Obviously, in that moment, there's three parts, which is the ball from Sarabia, which is a great ball. He pings it so well. And then obviously the 
position of Paulinho where he just flicks the head back, which when mm -hmm. it happens once, it just might be luck. But if it happens again, it was just a photocopy from the goals against Pazitkas. So obviously, it's a lot of work involved. Uh, and Amorini also said that there was his assistant manager that does the work. And you can see even in the games, if you take a look, especially obviously because I was there last, last week, I could see that, that every time there's a free kick or corner being offensive or defensively, Amorini sits down and is the other guy, Carlos Fernandes, that stands up That's and, very interesting, and, and gives the instructions. So the work is very divided there and, and obviously it's been working. That's the type of thing that you sort of notice more and more than obviously when you're on TV and you can't really see sort of sidelines. But casting my eye over the, the stats, and as you say, it was it looked like an even game. It, it looked frighteningly even, to be honest. Some of the stats were so close. Like, I think they, they, they both had 12 shots. The possession was 51-49. And um, the passing accuracy, there was 1% difference. It was 82 to 83 in Sporting's favour. The passes themselves, which are usually very different between two sides, Sporting 436, Vittoria 432. So literally like four passes difference. Um, yeah. They both had three offsides. They both had two yellow cards. Like it was just very, whatever Sporting seemed to do, Vittoria were also doing. But as I said, I didn't watch. Um, from the highlights, it looked it looked probably less comfortable than I, than I imagine it was. Um, because I, th I think the concentration of their chances, um, there was quite a few at the end. But then at the end of the day, we still only managed two shots on target. So, um, in that in that regard, you think, well, you know that that's as long as you're limiting the opposition to sort of pot shots from distance and yeah. And, um, and just to to yeah. add up one thing from from Guillaume Range, and just to highlight the fact that they finished the game with the midfield, very young midfield, but with a lot of quality. So from Thomas Andel with with mm -hmm. just eighteen. Andre Almeida they came in and he's, he's I think he's 20. Uh, Ranvier, which is the French guy that came in on 67 minutes uh, as well, very young and it's a very young midfield. And if you think as well, in the bench, they still have Andre Amar, which is a centre-back that we spoke about last season as well. They had Elder Sa, the left-back, uh, with 18 only and he, and he played so well. He just obviously came in with Rafa Suarez injured, but he looks like he's going to win the sport. So there's a lot of youngsters coming in at Guimarães, which is going to be worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, it's promising for the future. And Pro on the promising for the... as well, quite quite good players, uh, quality players as well. Yeah, uh, we're all the type of players that we'll be looking at whenever we we cover the um, the the under twenty ones, especially the likes of Thomas Handel, sort of making that that um, that jump up and and uh, yeah, it's good to see. It's good to see for the league. It seems like there's lots of maybe it's just me, but this season it feels like there's a lot of young players who are getting their chances and whether it's because those sort of under 21 players are all now a year older than they were when they first sort of came on the scene last season or the season before but we're actually we're seeing more and more we spoke about it with Porto we you know spoken about the Vittoria given um given minutes sporting of being able to to give minutes when they can and where they can um and um, so yeah long may continue but just to stay on sporting for the moment some Good pieces of news that have came out in the, the last week. So first of all, you had the Pedro Gonçalves contract extension. Uh, obviously, there's there's the glass half full and glass half empty way of thinking when it comes to contract extensions because people celebrate and they think, "Wow, we've got this player for another three or four years." And then there's the other people that say, "Well, we still only got him for another year, but at least it means we get you know a bit more money." Um, so, so whatever happens with him come the summer. 
I think his release clause is now, is it at 80 million 80, euros? Yeah, 80 million. So it just, yeah, in the event that he does go, it means that they may not, you know, they may not get the 80 million of the release clause, but it means it's a higher release clause. They can negotiate at a better price. And look, if someone wants to come in and meet it, Sporting will be very happy, yeah. I think, to, and, to, and I to think save 80 million. To get them to be more protected, because obviously they only have 50% of, of the yeah, income the that they would sell. So, mm-hmm. But yeah. for, for making those 80 million, is obviously is <laughs> a play that is worth keep an eye on, because obviously he's getting more and more frustrated after his injury. He hasn't scored yet. And you could see on the on the weekend that he scores one early. That was, like, was the first one disallowed goal. But then after that, you just see him getting more and more frustrated because he's not able to score. And yeah, same thing with Pauline, same thing with Sarabia. And they're just one of those things that you need to keep an eye on. Yeah, frustration. And I think for him as well, for um, Sarabia, obviously, and Pauline, you're more experienced when it comes to dealing with those type of frustrations. But for, for Pedro Gonçalves, I mean, obviously... We, we can speak about his career in two parts because we speak about the early part when he was this more of the, the central midfielder, uh, Wolves under-23s, um, obviously coming to Familicao. But now, in terms of this position, where he is now, this is the first time that he hasn't really had it all his own way. Because when you think yeah. he burst onto the scene in terms of that slight position change, playing further forward, um, you know, playing on the flank, sometimes appearing as a second striker, he goes on to score... You know, a half full of goals last season. It seemed like one touch finishes. He was able to. Um, he was everything. He was getting his boot on. It was it was just flying in the top corner. Now for the first time, I think as you say, wise to say, just keep an eye on him because he will need the likes of of um, of Paulinho around him and the, just the more experienced players to say, you know, don't worry. Like because once you start snatching the chances, once you start getting frustrated, the chances and missing chances. It, you know he can go one way or the other, but I think he he um he'll he'll find his rhythm soon enough, as you say. It's sort of post injury stuff, and then there's another Pedro. Uh, this one is uh, Pedro Poro, who is um don't think it's been announced yet, but is I think it'll only be announced at the end of the season. I think that City had requested that they would only announce at the end because to help out with financial fair play to count yeah. as an income for next season. But, well, yeah, we'll see with like that. But he, he's yeah, that's that's done. Basically, is he's, he's a he'll be a, a permanent sporting player. He tweeted again. Uh, I was on his Twitter earlier. Actually, he tweeted what was the latest tweet. So first thing he took Man City out of his bio on Twitter, and then he tweeted the little sand timer emoji, and then Sporting tweeted six hours ago, uh, fifty games for. The, this Liao and tagged him in, said celebrated against Vittoria, um, 50 games for Sporting. He then quote tweeted it and said um, to come many more, uh, muitos mais, with a a little wink emoji and then at it, like at Sporting Club de Portugal on Twitter. Then <laughs> um, someone then tweeted him uh, a reply. This was... Uh, Font longer too on Twitter. Uh, said, <laughs> um, signed the contract, <laughs> and then he then replied. He has a with, lot of free time, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, he he replied to that tweet. Um, with like the I don't know how to describe this on a on a on an audio podcast, 
the like the like the shocked emoji with like the eyes wide open. He tweeted three of those and then tagged Sporting in it as if to say announce it. And then people were just going absolutely crazy. Fifty one quote tweets of just people just like basically that's it. It, it it's done. And then Sporting replied to the thread, the actual thread itself, just with three green hearts. So that's you know it, it's it, this is the world that we live in. If you would have you know, went back 50 years and before social media, uh, I was running enough to say 50 years ago, 20 years ago, before social media and two guys on a podcast dis- discussing the use of emojis uh, to <laughs> announce to announce a, a, the signing of a contract. But that's that's the world that we live in now. And um, yeah, that, that all looks good. So that's obviously that's brilliant news. The more you can give to, to sporting and the, the longer they can keep hold of them for, you know, brilliant stuff, obviously. At this point in time, it was seen that you know Manchester City might not have needed him, but that's not to say that you know in the future we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, fantastic news. It's we're speaking about it as if it's being confirmed, but I feel like it has. I feel like everywhere it's the worst kept secret in Lisbon. I think. Yeah, it, it, like I said, I think the only waiting for Mensi to be like, "Hey, can I announce it now?" So, <laughs> it might be Permission. Only next year, like twenty twenty two. I mean, I was thinking the, the only way that they could probably, because the way they're teasing it at the moment is unless if they release, you know, one of those, you know, when clubs try to avoid uh, sort of like the tax year and the, the financial fair play and they say, we have a deal in place, uh, like like a deal in place for like a date. Um, but then, well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll definitely keep you updated on Prosimus United on Twitter about that as well. And then Apparently, just to... Pedro Pogo will keep everyone updated as well. Yeah, you don't even have to follow <laughs> us. The unfollow us and make him. sure you... Yeah, follow Pedro Pogo, follow uh, Sporting on Twitter, and they'll be able to let you know exactly what's going on. Um, <laughs> with, because they're letting me know what's going on, so I'm just, I'm just passing on the news. And then just to have a little look through the rest of the league, um, the Estoril performance, the Estoril game against Benfica, was another performance from this this newly promoted side that are just they're just refusing to to to, to go down without a fight. They've they've lost just one game all season with just the same amount as as Benfica and Braga. They're putting in performances. They've they've won five. They've drawn four. Uh, and and lost, as I say, lost just one. So they've won more games outside of the top three than any other side. So they've won more than the likes of Braga, Vitoria, Porto Menenza up there this season. And this one came courtesy of a very late um, equaliser, Rosier. He was there with the 90th minute goal. And Benfica's early goal came courtesy of another central defender, just like Sebastian Quates. There's another player who's finding his feet in front of goal this season or finding his head in front of goal is uh, Lucas Verissimo. But after that early goal, as I say, it was sort of opposite end of the game. The first goal goes in just after two minutes and the other one, the equaliser goes in after 90. So to be honest, if you're watching the game, you could have skipped minutes three to 89 <laughs> um, because there was, um, yeah, n- 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 nothing happened there. The uh, Yeah, in terms of the, the game itself, it's a, it represents maybe a bigger problem for Benfica than the actual result in isolation. Obviously disappointing, disappointing to drop points. And then, you know, if you want to be a bit more positive, Benfica never really want to drop points to, to Estoril. But, as I say, if you want to look at it in a more positive light, is that there'll be teams, there'll be a lot of teams, teams this season who will drop points to Estoril the way that they're playing. 
again, you know, not great. You can't really console yourself with it. But as I say, I think it's more of a it points to maybe a bigger problem at the minute with with Benfica because we were discussing this off air, Philippe, since maybe a month, a month or two back now, before the Portimonense game. Yeah, it was the, the the week before. So they obviously did beat Barcelona 3-0 in the Champions League. And at this point, they'd won every single game in the Premier League, um, which was their best start, best winning start to a season since the 80s. You know, and they, were, they put five past Santa Clara, three past Boavista. Uh, they played so well in the qualifiers against the likes of Spartak Moscow, PSV, uh, and then they they get beat 1-0 to Porto Menens. Then, obviously, the, the tough ends game happened, which was going into extra time in the Sasta Portugal. Uh, made lots of changes in the game as well. He was, you know, that wasn't... They didn't put out, you know, a really, really weak team. They was... They was players on there with caps to the name, you know, experienced players and finally found a way right at the end. A couple of days later, there's the 4-0 against Bayern, which, you know, when you when you watch it back, Benfica did have chances. Man, one way, had to pull off a couple of great saves. Um, but then I think Bayern just shifted into it with just a completely different gear at the end. But then, again, but back in the, in the league, you, you've got the 1-0 uh, the narrow one 0 win against Vizela, the three three with Vittoria in the in the Tasa de Liga, and that was you know that was just like a, a collapse. I think they they went three 0 up in that game, was it, Philippe? Three one. It was two 0 then It was oh yeah, Andre Andre scored yeah. Finished three three. The the um, Bruno Duarte at the end it was six or seven minutes from time, but yeah, I think the there's a lot of this early season optimism has now. It hasn't disappeared. I mean, because if you look at the, you know, you look at the numbers, there's still only one point off Porto and Sporting at the top. But sometimes I think you need to look at a pattern of how teams are playing rather than just the numbers. Because we were speaking about it off air, the teams that they've come up against, um, the challenges that they've faced, and then they're already, you know, against lesser opposition, had games where they've looked really, really worried. And um, even if you take the the Tassi games out of it, the games in the league, and then again yesterday, this this one one with with Estoril is not like you know it's not a great result. So, what are the problems of Benfica? What what do you think is going on, Philippe? For me, it's something similar to what happened last year. Last year, I think they lost against Boavista. I think it was like on game day five, and until then it was literally just wins as well. Um, and now, since the Portimonense, I don't think so. It was just after the Barcelona game, because I think against Portimonense they were unlucky. I think they play way better mm-hmm. than what they're playing now. So I don't really count that game. I think after the international break, then yes, there's a clearly difference between mm-hmm. how they were before and how they are now, which is intensity. Like even yes, even yesterday, obviously on on Saturday against Stuttgart, they were able to start really strong. Very, very pressing, really high. They score early, but the first 20, 25 minutes are quite strong from Benfica where they had chances to score more. There's a, a few moments where Darwin, if he's able to understand the game better than what he does, and I don't think he will improve on that, uh, they would create more danger in more more situations. Um, but then they just go off. They, they look like they have no energy. And the subs he makes from the bench, it doesn't make much sense. Sometimes I think he's, he's, I think he's very personally invested in Everton, even though he's clearly not working. Yesterday again, he puts him on, 
on the on the left hand side to try to pull the ball in and, and create some danger through there. But because everyone knows what he's going to do, end up being so easy. For yes, there was Carl Soria and and uh, could be any centre mid to go and help him to stop pulling in. And then he doesn't know any cho- any options. So there's a few moments yesterday in the second half where he's moments where Everton should be crossing with his left foot earlier because Gonzalo Ramos is in the box and makes a good movement. And, and Gonzalo Ramos inside the box is quite dangerous, quite a good player. But mm-hmm. he just delays crosses, so he doesn't <laughs> flew through there. And then at the end, I think he puts Mate. When he puts Mate and Pizzi, I think Pizzi comes on very late. Then I don't know how how was if if all listeners know, but in Portugal there was a big thing now uh, because after the Vizela game there was questions why didn't Pizzi come on earlier because obviously he, he's a different class of a player and he was very important against Vizela with the assist to Rafa and Jorjus came on with uh, saying that Rafa and Pizzi cannot play together because the team is not able to defend well. Which I think is just a way to, I don't know, burn a player for no, no reason whatsoever. Because I would say it's the manager's job to make sure that doesn't happen. If he's a problem of intensity, then make the play in a different position. Not play him in the middle, play as one of the three up front. When you bring him on, bring him on in a way that you need to keep the ball and they have protection yeah. from behind. When he tries to do that, he takes Juan Mario off, brings him in takes, uh, I don't remember who takes him off, to bring Meite in as well. And then Meite is another player that's obviously not working. It looks like he's trying to learn the George Zeus way, but he's miles off. Um, so it's just a lot of things that don't feel like they're gelling together. And it obviously doesn't help when we have Darwin and Yamolenko that I think Darwin's now five games without scoring, Yamolenko is seven games without scoring. And that doesn't really. Oh, help yeah, I'm sure. I was thinking then when you said Yarmolenko, I was thinking. Yeah, Yarmolenko is a Western player. Yeah, I'm sure. I was thinking, when did he move to Benvia? But no. Um, what a sign, no. by the way. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, no, yeah. I fully I'm agree sure. with that, to be honest. Seven games now without without scoring. But it just, it's hard to say exactly what it is. I don't think it's like. The, fre- the team being fresh, because like you said, against Trofense, some of players rest. He, he put a strong team. There was obviously some, like Jean Marie, for instance, he came on um, already with the game on, so he had a bit of time yeah. off. And then they had Bayern, then they had Vizel. Those two, two hard games, obviously, we didn't change any players. But then against Kimarens, it was again, it was some changes. So I don't think it's just fatigue per se, uh, at least from the games. It might be from, from training that obviously we don't know. Um, but obviously, there's something there that doesn't feel there's something right. not quite right at the minute. Yeah, even and, it's hard to explain yeah. as well. For instance, he brings he, yes, they play with with um, Radonjic, the Serbian player, on the, as a mm-hmm. right right back. But obviously, he had to do all the all the all the side of the of the pitch. But mm-hmm. then he has on the bench Gilberto, and I think it's quite hard to explain to. A player from that position that he's not going to play and he's going to bring a left footed to that place of the of the field is like I don't know it doesn't suit you well if if you are playing that scenario so we'll see yeah I'd rather go with an inverted in you know playing as a wing back yeah inverted then... wing back doesn't it doesn't really make any sense <laughs> I don't, unless you're I don't actually know. trying to chase the game like he was against Fizel and it makes sense then because obviously yeah. we expect Fizel to drop a lot so. Maybe a cross from a different angle would work. From the beginning of the game, doesn't really make any sense. I think how how Jorge Jesus handles stuff like that, those difficult conversations. I think that's 
one of the things that can sometimes um, be to his detriment, maybe the way that he deals with, I was going to say he deals with players behind closed doors, but also the way that maybe sometimes he speaks about players to, to in the media. the media as well and, and in the press. I think sort of that individual player management can... Um, because if you pizzy after those, what he said against Fizel, he brings you on for the last 10 minutes against Turil that you're winning 1-0. What? Yeah. My, if I'm Pizzi, I'm asking, so what I'm doing? Yeah. We're not chasing the game. We're defending. We're trying to keep a lead. You told everyone that I'm not able to do it. Why are you putting myself in his position? Then yeah, then you put me on, and then we concede. So now he's going to be asking questions about him himself, his own performance, and his own. And you start asking questions and thinking, is it is it me? Is the coach right? Is it? And then as you say, if 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 you, it's just not good to have those as a player. You want complete clarity. You want to know what your job is, when you're doing it, when are you coming on. You know, and you know what your strengths are, and the coach knows what your strengths are, and it's all working together, sort of in tandem. I think sometimes it can just feel a little bit disjointed with with Benfica. And um, it looks in like last with, season, with George Zuz is if everything goes well, it goes really well, and and they can play some amazing stuff. As yeah. soon as start bit of sand in the machine, it it, it 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 looks like it's hard for him to yeah. to put it back on track. And I think the problem they had last season. They just look like they were running out of ideas, and I think he'll be hoping, George Jesus will be hoping that the, you know this doesn't continue, because last season it looked like they were passing the ball to each other, as if to say, no, you go do something, like not really taking responsibility, and then we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks. I think their next game in the Champions League is Bayern. Yeah. Uh. So, Tuesday. I I mean. I don't know what the the they're just a complete different level of opposition. So all they can do is sort of do what they did last time is is try and stay in the game and and when they're on the counter, I think the big problem is that they didn't make buy and pay with their chances. To be honest, say two fantastic saves from one of the best goalkeepers that's ever lived. But I think that sort of you know the collapse at the end. It was I say going into a different gear. I don't even think it was necessarily. Any sort of fault of, of Benfica in terms of, oh, we, you know, we sustained it for this long. I think it was just buying can just choose when to go into that gear. It's not, it's like, you, you know, you don't let us perform, we'll perform when we want to perform. They kept the game going at sort of at their tempo. And then as soon as they got to this point, I was point watching thought, that game and there was like, gonna... there was a player that was, I was feeling so sorry for him because Who no was one it? was helping and he was getting burned so much. Diogo Gonçalves against Coleman. Yeah, oh my word! One of the most sad things I've seen. In I felt bad pitch. for him. Yeah, because there was a moment there, like as a as a right back, you have when someone is really good and better than you, you have two options. One, you are a bit afraid, but you're quick, so you give him a bit of space and be like, "I'm gonna push you out," and yeah. I'm just gonna leg it all the time. And then when that doesn't work, you try to get really close to be like, "I'm gonna get so close from you that even if the ball goes to you, I'm gonna bring you down." Fuck it, like yeah. literally. There's there's two choices. With him doing those forty five minutes, he could he could try both of them and nothing yeah. was working. Just Coleman just kept space. spinning off him whenever yes. he was getting tight. Aww. He was just gone. Every it's time impossible. he was getting closer from him, he was just one two behind him and he would be off. If you give him yeah. space, he would do every trick in the book and he was on the floor sometimes. And he's so yeah, he's so quick as well, Coleman. So hard to see. I actually felt sorry for him. Yeah, difficult. I mean We'll see what happens with with them in the sort of in the coming weeks, and then um, just to wrap up, there's actually there's a, there's a few games um, 
which are yet 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 to happen. We've got some some Monday night games, so we've got Braga and Portimonense, which is a game I'm actually really looking forward to. That kicks off at seven o'clock tomorrow. Uh, I'm unsure if it's being broadcast on BT or Free Sports. I know obviously if you're in in Portugal, it'll be on Sport TV. But that Braga Portimonense game that sees uh, Braga in fifth, Portimonense in sixth, go head to head. If Portimonense win. They go to 17 points. They'll actually overtake Braga in fifth. European battle. I know it's early days, but, well, one of the best games of the weekend, to be honest, in my opinion. I'm looking forward to that. Being pleasantly surprised with Portimonense this season. And then the late game is Morenense. At quarter past nine, they take on Passos Ferreira at home. Another interesting game. It's it's difficult to describe the season because I think Pass Ferreira after after losing Pepe, they'll only won two games this season. You find themselves in in tenth out of eighteen, which you know when you've only won two out of nine, it isn't too bad. And then Morenense are really really uh, really struggling. They've they've lost four of their nine games. They've only won one. They're seventeenth. They've only got seven points all season. So but they'll be they'll uh, be okay because I think Morenense said they already play Port Sporting. Yes, Sporting as well. They, yeah. Maybe Braga, out oh, Braga. Braga as well. Yeah. yeah. So uh, if, uh, out of Benfica. Games, yeah, I'm not sure. Did they play Benfica now? Yeah, they, it was. It was it the first. Was it was the the first first or second game of the season? They, they, yeah, they got beat two one. Um, seventh um, of August this season. Yeah, so they've played Benfica, Sporting, Porto, and Braga. <laughs> that's not a good run of fixtures. Yeah, that's not too bad. Four of them are against. The four main clubs, it's 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 tricky. So Difficult. And I think they play they, they play decent football. I saw them obviously last week against Sporting, and and they were okay. They could have yeah take a point out of their game. Um. So, uh, to be fair, I'm not too worried about them. I'm more worried about Pass. To be fair, uh, because obviously the expectation was high, even with George Simon coming in, but after a very good game against Tottenham. As well for the Conference League, everyone is expecting a bit more. Um, so we'll mm-hmm. we'll see, we'll see. And then, yeah, just to run through the rest of the league, we had um, a two-one win for Belenense Sad against Santa Clara, which was Belenense Sad's first win of the season. Um, that was two-one, and then Gil Vicente won away in Madeira against Maritimo. And what else haven't we covered? The first game. Of the weekend, which was on the Friday, I think it was, was Aruka won 2 0 against Tondela. And then the game, which has finished, just finished before, uh, Familicao and Vizela, uh, that finished in a 1 1 draw. Uh, to finish off the show, we'll be doing a, a short Portuguese abroad. We'll try and squeeze in. Uh, this is the segment that gets harder and harder every week because more and more Portuguese players are performing, more and more Portuguese players are performing well. So it feels like there's a lot to talk about. Last season, we didn't have the likes of, of Beto or Udinese to speak about. Um, I was actually compiling a list earlier because I'm sad and this is what I do in my spare time. I was compiling a list of the top sco- the top Portuguese scorers across sort of Europe uh, at the moment and just looking to see who's finding the back of the net and who isn't. And um, yeah, he's right up there. I think he's, he's three or four goals in Serie A uh, just, to, just in the league. Today, Joao Felix scored his first La Liga goal of the season. He came off the bench uh, on 70 minutes and, and scored after 80. That was a, a brilliant finish as well. So it was good to see him get underway for the season. And it's a bit of a, I'd say, new look Atletico in terms of the players they brought in, but 
brought in the likes of Antoine Griezmann, who, who we, we know best for uh, being in an Atletico shirt. But obviously he's got to deal with so many attacking options at the club uh, now. But he, you know, he came off the bench. He looked sharp. He was really good the other day as well against Levante. They ended up drawing that game 2-2. He conceded two penalties and one was in the 90th minute. But he played well in that game. He played well against Liverpool. Uh, he provided an assist in the Liverpool game and had that glorious moment um, just before he played the pass with the assist of bamboozling the Liverpool defenders, which is which is brilliant to see. And then we go to England, where uh, the man who doesn't press and the man who is at fault for all of Manchester United's shortcomings, Cristiano Ronaldo. Did did what he does best. He usually comes up with a good performance, and and he did. It was a it was an outstanding um, goal. But what I preferred more than the actual goal was his assist for the Edinson Cavani goal. Cavani goal uh, yeah. That was the little Ronaldo chop to come inside. I mean, so synonymous with the move. It's named after him. Um, and then just sort of the way to pass and Cavani as well is is just a monster, isn't he? And think maybe that that that's the direction that Ollie might go in is is utilizing that formation. I, I found it funny just off topic that um that United were linked so heavily with Antonio Conte that week and then Ollie puts out the team with three at the back as if to say like the best, yeah, you, the best you want Conte I, <laughs> You cannot you cannot hire Conte if I become Conte. <laughs> um so yeah that was that was that was um yeah, that was a good performance, a really strong performance, and obviously it came against the manager we spoke about at the top of the show, and Nuno's under an immense amount of pressure, and we'll obviously keep you updated with that situation, but I've got a feeling that by the time this show goes out, he may no longer be a Tottenham Hotspur manager. And then elsewhere, what else has been going on? I Portuguese. think one thing that we need to highlight was the fact that cool. in one of the most important games in France, PSG against Lille, there was more Portuguese players than French players. I think that's... Oi! I like that. Uh, and then I would like just had two monos. So like we spoke earlier about Bell being in the final of the, the Libertadores again, uh, which will be played in November, end of November, I think. Yeah. Um, which will be amazing 22nd, if, is it? if he wins again. And then... In, and if he wins it, and by any chance he would, obviously a miracle now, stay at Palmeiras, doesn't look likely. But if he would stay and win, then in the Asian Champions League final, there's another Portuguese coach, which is Leonardo Jardim, which we also spoke earlier, with Alilal playing the final on the 23rd of November. So imagine having a bell in the World Cup of Clubs, having Leonardo Jardim in the World Cup of Clubs. And I don't know, we need to find a Portuguese coach in Africa winning something important. I'm sure they'll be uh, going yeah. there as well. And then someone dotting around will be more tricky to have one, but <laughs> I don't know. Sergio Conceição, Ruben Amorim, or Jorge Jesus doing something in a Champions League. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's good. On Portuguese World Cup um, of clubs, <laughs> club club World Cup. <laughs> uh, it's good to see the uh, you know the the representation. The interview with George Race talking about Portuguese coaches and and. Um, that's something that, especially in the future, we'll be looking to interview sort of more coaches and managers because there's something so special, I think, about a Portuguese coach. So we're looking forward to seeing how they get on. And um, yeah, in terms of the Portuguese abroad, we'll be better fixed to speak about it on next week's episode because obviously we've got the Champions League this week. So we'll be a lot of players across Europe 
um, you know, doing what they do best. You've got Man City in the Champions League, United in the Champions League, uh, Lille. Um, Renato Sanchez was was uh, as you said before back in the team uh, along with Jeka, Thiago Jallo, and uh, Jose Font. There's lots of interesting games this week, and then the when is it? Is it the the next match day? The next Champions League match day? I think it is. I'll actually be behind enemy lines, Philippe, because I'm going to the Liverpool Porto game and I'm sitting in the cop uh, as a um, as a as a Portuguese football writer undercover. Uh, those who are listening to this will probably hear the Scouse accent and think, "Oh, you'll be at home at the cop," but I don't actually support Liverpool; I support Everton. So, um, so I'm there strictly for business. Um, unsure what to do when. Liverpool score the fifth of the night. Uh, whether you know, I haven't celebrated the other four goals. I mean, I'm not very hopeful of of Porto getting a good result, but that should definitely be interesting. So, if there's anyone who listens to this, um, who who when goes to the Liverpool games, and listening to this, they're actually going to go to the game. Please try to support Aaron <laughs> and just make point it out. And tell the rest yeah, he's like, an infiltrator. Well, he's a traitor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that should be that should be very interesting. And yeah, we'll be bringing the episodes out on, as I said on the last podcast, looking for a, a home for the podcast, looking for a day that we'd be doing it on. But it looks like Monday a Monday afternoon release is going to be the date going forward. So make sure you get the Monday penciled in. If you subscribe on Apple Music and Spotify and have notifications on, you'll also get notifications now that the, the new episode is available and out. So uh, you won't have to sort of check Twitter. But yeah, Monday, Monday afternoon. Uh, we haven't got a time yet because I'm not that organised, but I imagine it'll be around about 12 o'clock in the afternoon every Monday. The, um, the episode will be out. And until next time, thank you, Philippe. See you later, my friend.